One of the greatest gifts that my dad ever gave to me uh, was that he believed in me. He, my dad wasn't perfect, and I don't think any dad is perfect. Um, but as I was preparing a Father's Day preach, um, I, he brought just a story to my mind about what my dad meant to me and something that he did that showed that he believed in me. So I want to take you back to high school athlete Brad. It's about, I don't know, 20 to 30 pounds lighter and a little bit shorter. And I was still really stocky. I never quite, like, filled out into athletic build or anything. But I, I loved sports. I wanted to compete. I wanted to play. So I played baseball. I played basketball. But what I was probably best at in, in high school was football. And um, that's right. Thorne gets it. And so I struggled a little bit. It's not like it was a huge deal, but I oftentimes was jealous, was jealous of all the other athletes around me, everyone else on my football team, because they were faster, stronger, uh, more built for this type of thing. All I got is football uh, calves. I don't have anything else. It's just the calves. Um, so my junior year, I finally got a starting role on, uh, on the football team. I was a starting tight end. And it was a fun season. I, I had a good season. I caught one touchdown pass, which is like the, the absolute like, highlight of my high school sports career. And, but at the end of the year, the awards time came, right? And again, I, I was barely a starter. I, I knew my place. I knew that I worked hard. I had made it. But I wasn't expecting any awards that night. And uh, when, you know, they give away all the best awards, like MVP and, you know, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, et cetera, and then they got to award called the Eagle Award, which was uh, just designated for the spiritual leader of the football team. And uh, I was given that award, and it was unexpected and cool, and it was it, it was edifying for kind of what my strengths are. Right, I wasn't necessarily the best athlete, but I did love the Lord, and I definitely made sure that my teammates knew that. So the next morning, I woke up, and there was just a, there was a card on my dresser, and. Uh, open it up, and it just had two simple sentences from my dad. It it just simply said, "Brad, congrats on winning the Eagle Award, the most the most important award you could win." And um, I, God brought that story to my attention because I realized that maybe my dad would have preferred that I was super athletic. My dad loves sports too. We all, as dads, have that inner desire to a certain extent that to see our kids play sports. It's just something that happens. But uh, instead of focusing on anything that I was lacking, my dad saw that experience and knew that that was what my strength was, and he edified that. And so I, I feel like this was just a good example of, of how our Heavenly Father looks at our strengths. And um, I, I, wanna, I do want to say, and I know that Dads make mistakes. Dads are flawed. Dads can oftentimes um, cause wounds in us just because of that special relationship. But uh, God wants us to focus on Him, the perfect example of a Heavenly Father who only looks at our strengths and not our weaknesses tonight. So um, I'm going to circle back to that story at the end and talk a little bit more about it. But first, I want to talk about Paul. So last week, Mark uh, really challenged the men in the church uh, just to be intentional about searching out the Lord's desires for our lives instead of not, instead of letting the flesh run our lives, right? 
And he spent a little bit of time in Romans 7, but I want to read uh, quite a large portion of Romans 7 because I feel like us as a church, as people, especially for us men in this room, there is so much value in how vulnerable Paul was in this section. So if you'll open with me or read with me uh, Romans seven fourteen through 24. This is Paul just pouring out his heart, and it says, The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Going back to verse 24, just him saying, what a miserable person I am. I don't necessarily use that strong of words all the time, but I do that all the time. I beat myself up because I'm a sinner, and I know that I'm not doing right by him all the time. I know that there's habitual sin, there's there's things that I, I do consistently that just tear me up. And I'm like, I'm a miserable person. I don't use those exact words, but that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's torn apart by the fact that he is not doing what he knows is right. So i got to ask, dads in this room, do you ever beat yourself up about how you treat your kids? I know I do. Like, oh, I, I snapped at him again, just like that need to have patience or how sometimes I can put my job ahead of my family and you get discouraged because you know what's right you know what God wants you to live out but instead you have this sin that just kind of keeps creeping back in and before you know it you start lying to yourself you start saying I'm I'm just not worthy I, I am not worthy to be this you know follower or this dad that God has entrusted me to be So, I want to talk about that a little bit. We um, make it a lot harder than it needs to be sometimes. This this area of just sin dominating our life, or, or the thought of sin dominating our life. So, uh, I, I have a confession to make. I, I'm a numbers dork. I'm, I am a numbers dork. And... I don't just say that. I have an app on my phone that's only purpose is to pull random numbers. That's it. That's all it does. So I'm not lying to you. Um, my my degree is in applied statistics. So I thought today I I I want to get dorky with you and we're going to talk math a little bit. All right. 
So um, have any of you heard of the transitive property of equality? All right. Well, this is it. Wilco drew this, actually, before certain. No, he didn't. I'm kidding. Um, so it says if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. All right. That makes sense, right? Real, real, real complicated. So, <laughs> Andy failed al algebra. I'm sorry. This is a great, great teach for you then. Um, so I want you to keep that in mind and follow along with me. So in 1 John 4, 8, it says, anyone who does not love, or anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. All right. So the, the, the A part of our formula, God is love. That's a fact, right? God is love. Then we're going to go to a very well-known uh, section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read all through 4 through 7. And so you can, can kind of see where I'm going here, but it says a lot of things that love is. So you can kind of com combine the two, but we're going to focus on one section. So anyway, reading through it, it says, Love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, I, yeah, all that, there's lots of awesome in there. So, in theory, you could just say, you know, God is love, love is awesome, God is awesome, and just, you know, that, that could be the, the grander picture, right? Um, I promised you that I'd stop saying awesome so much in my sermons. I need to stop. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to keep working on that. But uh, the, the one I want to focus on is love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So God is love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Therefore, God keeps no record of wrongs. Very good class. Very good. Um, hold on to that for a second. God keeps no record of wrongs. So Mark stopped in Romans 7 last week. I'm going to move into Romans 8 for a second. Because it's very important to put those two passages together. So at the end of Romans 7, Paul is pouring out his heart and he is saying, I am a sinner. I struggle with this. Why don't I do what's right more often? It's very important to note that the next section in Romans 8 is not, so I suck. <laughs> you know, the next section in, in Romans 8 says, Now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, let me, let's stop on that verse, actually. There is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. So I want you to think, and I don't know I don't know which of you do or don't struggle with this. Which of you do or don't beat yourself up about sin in your life. Um, and you've kind of maybe let yourself listen to the lie that you're just not worthy because of that sin and you're less than because of that sin. So if there is that in your life, I want you to think about what that struggle is. What sin is it that you just think is just messing up your life? That's unforgivable. That is keeping you away from him. So just think of that for a second.
God is not disappointed in you. God is not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is not disappointed in you. He may want more for you. (laughs) He does want more for you. He has vision for you. He has plans to prosper you. But when we fail, He is not disappointed in you. If any of you right now, I just want to take a step back. If any of you in any way, shape, or form are saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't... Baloney. Baloney. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what that sin is. It doesn't matter how you may keep failing in this area over and over and over again. He says, stop and sin no more. Stop and sin no more. I did it again. Stop and sin no more. He's not judging you. He doesn't condemn you. To hammer home this point, I want to read 2 Corinthians 5 really quick. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, this is uh, 5.17-21, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We have been reconciled through Christ. We've been reconciled. And... The, so I looked up, just as I read the word reconciled, I'm like, that's an awesome word. We don't use that much. And it's actually the Greek word, uh, which is uh, katalega, or katalage. There we go. I practice that a lot, but it is what it is. It's only used four times in, in Scripture. And one of the meanings behind that Greek word, it says, we have been restored to favor. We've been restored to favor in Christ. And it's important to note we don't go back and forth in this favor. It's not that we are in favor. Oh, lied. I'm not in favor anymore. Oh, I'm going to repent. I'm back in favor. Oh, mouthed off to my kid. You know, like it, it, that's not how it works. We are in favor. We are in his favor. Period. Period. And I'm getting a little fired up because, like, I'm. This, as God just spoke this over me this week, I was I was weeping on multiple occasions, partly because I'm a crier in general. But I, why do we beat ourselves up about sin? Why why do we do that? It's it's partly because we we want to do so well for our Father, and that's great. But when Paul talks about in later in Romans eight about how you can either be focused on things of the Spirit or focused on sin, part of that being focused on sin is about beating beating ourselves up too much about that sin. So, 
I'm, I think many of you have probably read most, if not all, of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament God that did show anger to his people, that you know destroyed cities and, and sent a flood and definitely poured down judgment on his people, all of that is gone. All of that is gone because Jesus bore that for us. So when we look at, well, God is angry. Absolutely, God, God shows many times in the Bible how he's angry. But Jesus took that anger on his shoulders. So he no longer, we just talked about it, we're reconciled in him. God no longer is condemning us of those sins because Jesus took that condemnation for us. Does that make sense? So I want to uh, continue in Romans 8, because we skipped that earlier. But um, Romans 8, 2 through 4 says, Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. When God declared victory over sin, it was not just a simple, well, we believe in Jesus, therefore we're saved from death, although that's a big part of it, obviously. It goes beyond that. We are no longer bound to sin. God declared an end to sin's control over us. So if Satan ever starts lying to you, if you start beating yourself up about how you are falling short and you're not doing enough and you're whatever, and, and then Satan takes the opportunity and creeps in, he's like, you know what? You're not good enough. You're not worthy. How can you lead that children's group if you're out there with this sin in your life? You're, you're worthless. You can't be doing that. You need to quit that. And that's what, that's what Satan does. He takes a sin that we have in our life and he turns it around and he says, listen, I mean, you love Jesus, right? I mean, you can't be, you can't be serving over here if you've got this in your life. And that's ridiculous. So if, if that happens, if that starts creeping up, you can just throw this scripture in Satan's face and say, I am no longer under sin's control. I declare that to be a lie, and I walk out victorious with my Father. So, I don't know if this is true of all of us. Some of us may feel like you're quick to repent when you sin, which is awesome. I, I'm, it's all about your personality. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes that sin just kind of hovers over your life, and you can't seem to forgive yourself, even though it's already been forgiven. So there has to be an understanding that your Father, your Heavenly Father, loves you thoroughly for who you are. For who you are right now. Not who you could be. Not who you potentially are. Not that you know person you dream to be who's just as perfect as can be and following Him as closely as possible. He doesn't love you for who you could be. He loves you for who you are right now. Because of our pride and our temperament, as especially as some of us men, I think that that could be hard to grasp. That there's no condemnation. 
So I want to I want to continue with the math lesson, and I I created this one. This is this is a mind blowing formula that I that I created here. So um, I call it the reflective property of we can't help ourselves. So all right. So when we reflect about what God did for us, you can put as much in that parentheses as you want. In this case, I said A equals us, B equals sin, C equals mistakes, D equals more mistakes. You could add an E of not listening to his will for your life or whatever it may be. You multiply any of that, and by the way, in math, you add everything in the parentheses first, so it's all added together, and then you multiply that by God's love. We shouldn't be able to help ourselves, but have the fruit of the Spirit just, just oozing out of our lives. Because if you're not careful, and I don't think any of you would do this, but what I just spoke about, about the condemnation, you can kind of you could kind of twist it and say, well, why do I have to worry about sin? Why do I have to worry about sin? If, if God, I mean, God doesn't condemn me for my sin, why do I need to worry about it? This is why. We have a Father that loves us unconditionally. And we should be able to help ourselves, but let the fruit of the Spirit just come from our daily lives. So, I want to talk a little bit about the prodigal son in this area. And and by the way, when I first knew I was going to be preaching on Father's Day, I was like, not doing the prodigal son. Not going to do it. It's like low-hanging fruit. That's easy. Um, but as we were, as I was putting this together, uh, he really pointed out to me how important the father and the son of the prodigal son is. So, just real quick, cliff notes on the prodigal son. Son decides that he wants his inheritance early. His dad wants him to work for it, and he's going to get. He promises it to him later on in life, but he wants it early. Prodigal son goes out and parties, gets drunk, sins, eventually has nothing, and then he comes back to his father after he had been eating with pigs, after he was the lowest, you know, lowest he possibly could be. He comes back to his father, probably smelled terrible, he was probably in rags, probably muddy, and his father sees him from the distance. And he is just overjoyed. He is just overjoyed. He doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care what he smells like. He doesn't care what he's done. He doesn't care about the past, you know, the past sin that the son, you know, had against that father. Um, he's just standing there with open arms. You know, we sang the song earlier about, you know, I'm running to your arms. That's our dad. Our dad, every time we turn to him, he's there just with open arms saying, come to me. I love exactly who you are. I don't care what you've done. And that's where my stupid formula comes into play because we really can't help ourselves. We shouldn't be able to help ourselves because we have a dad that loves us so wholeheartedly. So, fathers in the room, you get a small section just for you. It is not an accident, it is not an accident that God used the parable of the prodigal son to show that love relationship. It's not an accident. Because it's that relationship, that that role of being a father is so valuable. There are so many different examples in the Bible of that 
father-son relationship, that bond there. And, and you, as fathers, you are valuable. You are valuable to His plan. You are valuable to showing love of the Father to your kids. And I started out this preach with the story of my dad. And again, my dad wasn't perfect. But in that moment, he was kind. He expressed joy with me. He showed a sensitivity to who I was as a child. That's what our Father does. And that's what we're called to do. And we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit for quite a long while now. I haven't gone through the you know exact fruit in this message. But the fact of the matter is, we as dads are an ultimate example of what the fruit of the Spirit should be in our lives. And it's not... I'm not saying that I'm like, oh man, that's pressure. I'm saying that because... God's entrusted us with that. And if you do feel any pressure as I say that, know that Jesus took that burden off of you. So we look towards Him. We look towards, we look towards our ultimate example, our Father. And as we're just loving on Him and understand the unconditional love He has for us, we then pass that along to our kids. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit, we make the right decisions instead of the wrong decisions, like Paul talks about. So when... You have to discipline your child. Instead of snapping at them and being insensitive to their feelings, you love on them, you're gentle with them, and correct them with gentleness. Caleb has probably built, I don't know, 74 Lego spaceships in his life, probably, something like that, maybe more. Every single time he comes and he just says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! Look what I did. Look what I built. Every single time, I make it a point to stop what I'm doing, look him in the eye, get down to his level, and say, Caleb, that's awesome. That is so cool. That is such a cool spaceship. And just the smile on his face. You know? And I mean, that's what God's doing with us with our little wins too. He's so excited for us. But can you imagine the response if I'm not using that fruit of the Spirit, the joy, if I'm absent and I'm like, I'll talk to you later, Caleb. Those are the types of examples, the types of opportunities where they're seeing the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And that hurts. That hurts them. Um, Self-control. You know, are you attuned with the Father's love? Are you attuned with the Holy Spirit so that you can have self-control when you're angry? To wait till you're not angry to know when to say that to your child, when not to say that to your child. That's what happens when we're actually just focusing on His love. Again, that formula, when you're focusing on just His unconditional love for us and He doesn't condemn us, He just loves us, we then have the Holy Spirit to live our, out, live our life out with, as Paul's talked about so much in the passages we've read the last, whatever, month, two months. So, I hope that no dad in here is like, oh man. I hope instead it's, you have an opportunity to mirror your father's love for us. And that's cool. That's a really cool opportunity. So, I want to make it very clear. We cannot be flippant about sin. 
But I hopefully don't even need to say that. I hopefully don't need to say that. You know, because I'm not being legalistic in all of this. This is not saying, you know, this, 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 and this, and this is the law, and this is exactly how you need to respond. This is a relationship. This is a relationship with our Father who has amazing plans for us. And so it's, if you're getting out of this that, wow, I'm saved, and therefore sin doesn't matter that much, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I just want to caveat that. And I shouldn't have to caveat that because of that relationship with him. You want to impress your dad. You want to impress your father. I want to impress my father. Caleb wants to impress his father. So that relationship keeps it so that we are not flippant about sin. Romans 8.5 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. When, when I read that, when we talk about how you know, we can be dominated by sinful, our sinful nature, all this arguing in our head that we let happen sometimes about, ah, I, I'm not worthy because I messed up in this area so many times. That's, that's being dominated by sin. When he says dominated by sin, it's not just dominated by actually sinning. We can spend so much time focusing on our lack that we miss out on the promises of our abundance. And that's what this passage is saying. If we allow ourselves to, we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit and think about things that please the Spirit. I hope you know, I hope each and every one of us know, He's not distant. Our Father is not distant. He's not angry with us. He is the truest expression of love that we will ever know. And all it takes is for us to, to just run into His arms as we talked, as we sang earlier. And it's not always going to be easy. I, I, I mean, Satan loves getting into our head about sin. But in James 1.12, said that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. The end result of following our Father's example of unconditional love is that we pass it on to those around us. That's how we're good fathers. That's how we're good mothers. It's not by trying ourselves. Because when we try ourselves, we fail, and then we focus on how we fail, and we go down this rabbit hole of just not being able to get out of just kind of this cloud, the sin cloud that we're under. But instead, when we focus on Him, He takes that burden off of our shoulders and He helps us do the work. He helps us show how much He loves us. And then from that, we're able to show our kids how much we love them. We should find every opportunity to love on our kids the way that our Father did. I find myself guilty of sometimes focusing on my father, my earthly father's faults, instead of his his positive qualities. Um, but man, when I thought of that story that I told at the beginning, I just smiled and just was like, 
That was pretty awesome. He believed in me. Um, and if anyone hasn't had that experience, uh, our Father wants to show that love on you. Period. He, want, he, wants you to, he wants you to understand that. He wants you to have that. Because it's important. It's important. When we stop letting our flesh and Satan get in the way of us representing the fruit of the Spirit in our daily life, when we just let him own just that 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 purpose in our life and um i don't know i don't want any of us to beat ourselves up over sin that's a strange thing to say but we shouldn't beat ourselves up over sin this cannot be a church where we're focused on what we've done in the past that was wrong we need to be a church that focuses instead on the promise that he has for us and that promise is so good that promise is so good. As I read just in James 1, 12, He blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. 